welcome to episode 16 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Richard Bucciarelli. Let's go. I slept so well last night and felt great all day today, but even still with how good I felt, we recorded this episode starting at about 9 p.m. or so, and I thought oh, I should probably just have an espresso after dinner anyways, not that I don't usually do that, but you know, just to be sharp for the podcast, I said, yeah, I should have it. And thank God that I did because today's guest, Richard Bucciarelli, is such a wealth of knowledge and, and goes so deep in some very scientific things that we did a very good job of simplifying and making useful information for you to listen to and to implement into your own life. But this episode was so cool for me to do and to be able to stay sharp for because Richard was a coach of mine many, many years ago in soccer. And then, of course, I grew up and stopped playing soccer. And, you know, we don't need to talk about that. But then I, Go, went on to do whatever I'm doing now, whatever you want to call this thing. And R- Richard and I reconnected. And it's so great to speak to him now as an adult. Whereas, you know, the, the last time I spoke to him, I, I was a child and I've been following what he's been doing ever since then. And he's gone on to do so many great things with his speed training business. Richard is a researcher. He's a professor. He's an excellent, excellent coach and a very good teacher and communicator of what he does. So we got into a lot of topics, mainly focused on athletics, athletic development, but you know, we always tie things back into the rest of us, the regular people like myself who are not professional athletes. And I, and I said this in the episode and I will probably end up saying this every episode is the difference between professional athletes and athletes in life. We can all be athletes and we need to do the things, but we are not professional athletes. So anyways. I think I'm rambling a little bit here. We got into a lot of topics. Richard is an innovator as well, and he's done a lot of great training with some very cool pieces of equipment in high-speed treadmills, and we spoke about what that is, how that's useful, under-training and over-training, which I think is a, a concept that is generally tied to professional athletes, but I have a lot of thoughts on this as well with general population, so Richard did a very good job of explaining what that is and what are all the simple things. You'll notice that Even with the athletes that Richard works with, all of the same principles are true. You got to take care of the basics. You need to move well. You need to eat well. You need to sleep well. Check all the boxes and then worry about the gimmicks and then push the limits. And speaking on pushing limits, you actually have to push the limits. You need to train your ass off. So anyways, it was a great episode. It was such a pleasure to reconnect and speak with Richard, and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining me this evening. It's great to reconnect after so many years. It must have been more than 10 years at this point, which makes me feel old, and I'm really not that old. But <laughs> Well, if, if, if it makes you feel old, imagine how it makes me feel. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because so you were a coach. Were you at KNSC? I don't recall. I know for sure at A&B, but KNSC, were you there as well? Uh, yeah, so I, I was um, uh, right out of finishing my, my undergraduate, which I guess was, it was 2004. When I graduated, I, because I'd been I'd been a coach in, in the club at Kleinberg, my my head coach when I was a, a player at York was was a guy named Bassam who ended up running A and B. So he's the one that got me started coaching, like a lot of other university players at the time. And uh, the club, uh, you know, Bassam had been a technical director there, but then he left to do his own thing. Um, and uh, so there was a position. I mean, I, you know, I I wasn't a technical director, but right out of school, I ended up running their indoor academy, and I did a bunch of you know, coach clinics for them and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I mean, you would have been really young at that time, but uh, I, yeah. I do remember you there, you and, and, and Luciano Di Loreto's son. Yes. And then they later on, I know I saw you at A&B for a few years and, and you know, when you're a bit older. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would. So 2004, I would have been, uh, well, it's grade four. So it makes me 10 or something like that. And then, and then 
David and Luciano and, and myself and my father and a bunch of other teammates, we moved to A and B and then we came back after, but our paths crossed again. And it's so great that now that, you know, well, I, I you were an adult at that time, but now I'm an adult. I'm not a little boy anymore, you know, kind of, uh, yeah. that we can, we can reconnect here. Right on. Awesome. Yeah. So why don't we just get started? Go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, to anyone who may not know you and, and you know what you're all about. Okay. So my name is Richard Bucciarelli. Uh, I'm a sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I run a business called Speed Training, which provides fitness testing training uh, and also coach education, but primarily fitness testing and training to high performance athletes. You know, my background was soccer, but I've branched out um, now into working with athletes from many other sports. I'm also a, a university professor in the faculty of kinesiology at the University of Guelph Humber. Uh, I do coach education uh, you know, for different associations in soccer, the, the provincial and, and the national association. And I'm also, you know, in, in my spare time, <laughs> trying, trying to finish my PhD. So it's, um, I'm part-time at it and, and I'm heading up into my fourth year. And, and, you know, there's a good chance that I may be able to finish by the end of the year. So, wow. so uh, yeah, <laughs> not, not, not too many people are doing a PhD in, in their spare time. You know, most people yeah. are watching Netflix in their spare time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I've got very, very little time for Netflix. I'm, I'm also, I'm also a, a proud husband and, and father to, to a little two and a half year old girl right now. So, so that's uh, that's that, that, that's the best part, uh, the best way for me to spend my spare time for sure. For sure, and I mean that's that's probably more important than than anything else, right? Uh, you know, I, I've said this in the podcast a million times, but you know, we're all humans first, and all the other labels and, and the hats that we wear are secondary, and they're great, and they are what we do, what we're passionate about, and all that stuff. But they're secondary to just you know doing what we do in our day to day life and the things that we actually really enjoy and the people we enjoy spending time with. Yeah, and I'll tell you. So there's a a very well known exercise physiologist who, who's on my PhD committee at the University of Guelph. His name is Lawrence Spriet, and he, you know he works with Gatorade and the NHL. He's a top top physiologist in the world. And uh, anyway, right when I started uh, uh, you know studying for my exams, and he was one of the advisors. Uh, that was right when you know my, my wife was pregnant, and 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 you know I was you know telling him that oh yeah I'm about to have a baby, and and he said to me that uh, oh you know once I had kids, you know, then I, I really enjoyed my work more because it wasn't the most important thing in my life anymore. And I thought that that always kind of stuck with me that, you know, he said it to me and, you know, kind of, it made sense, but not really because I hadn't experienced it yet. But th that's the truth, honestly, is, 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 is it really is true that uh, once you have, you know, a family of your own and, and all that, then, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, work, work isn't the, the most important thing. And, and maybe that does, because it gives you some perspective. It makes you enjoy it more. So. But I, mean, I still do enjoy my work a lot. <laughs> it, it that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I would be in that same position as you, where I I wouldn't be able to like you know really believe that or really know that for myself. But it's it sounds like something that will be will be true one day. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, for sure. So uh, what I wanted to ask you actually, kind of off the top, is like how did all this start? So you do a lot of different things now. They're all related, but many different things. Was this sort of your plan? Or from coaching soccer, did it end up into the academic world and then the more like athletic performance side of it as opposed to technical soccer stuff? Yeah, so it's a good question. So I'll make a long story short. Um, and uh, maybe I've told this story a few times, but it, it's good to tell it. So like I was studying kinesiology and, uh, and playing soccer. For, this was at York University. So I was a player on the team. And uh, as I said, you know, my, my head coach, you know, brought me in to start coaching as well. So, so I was doing those three things in my undergrad in my early 20s, which was, uh, you know, playing soccer, coaching soccer and studying sports science. And I think it's quite common that a lot of 
people who study sports science or kinesiology, there isn't like a direct career path. There's many, you know, you can be a chiropractor or a physiotherapist or a personal trainer, uh, you know, or get into strength and conditioning or coaching or, you know, you kind of, you, or med school if your grades are good, you know, or better. So anyway, so there's a, many different directions you can go. And, uh, you know, I was not sure at the time what I wanted to do. Obviously I knew I love soccer and I love, you know, coaching and, and I was into, into the exercise science as well. So what happened was I, you know, I was coaching a team and uh, some of the parents who knew, you know, that I, that I was also a personal trainer at the time, I was actually a part-time personal trainer and, and knew I was studying kinesiology. So they, they figured I knew something. And so they just offered, you know, we train my, we train my son, you know, after practice. And so I started doing that uh, part-time, uh, you know, after training was done, I would put some cones down on the field and do little exercises and things. And then eventually some of the other coaches from the club noticed and so then some of the coaches said, oh, well, you know, this looks good. Can you, will you train my team? And, you know, they, they paid a bit more. And, and so basically this little part-time business kind of just, just sprung up out of the work that I was doing in coaching. <clears throat> and by the time I graduated, I was actually, because I was playing in the CPSL at the time, it's a semi-pro league and I wasn't really making much money, but, you know, I kind of, I liked it and I was you know, good enough at it, but, but I was, then I had to decide all of a sudden, you know, do I want to keep going with this little business? Or do I want to keep playing because the hours and the time commitment were the same? It was evenings and weekends and stuff. So, so the truth is I was already making much more, you know, training and coaching than I was as a player. <laughs> so, so it was kind of a, you know, it was an easy decision. So, so basically I decided to, to, you know, to train soccer players full time uh, once I graduated. So that ended up leading into a business called soccer fitness. Uh, I, you know, I didn't want to confuse people with the title of the business. So I just called it what it was, which was fitness training for soccer. And I, you know, I patterned it after there were a lot of companies at the time working with hockey. So this term dry land fitness, which is, you know, the ice is ice and land is dry. So, you know, that um, there were lots of companies doing fitness for hockey and there was nobody doing it for soccer. So I, you know, I was maybe a little kind of, I had a unique thing uh, going at the time and clearly there was a big market for it because, the, you know, the players, you need fitness for soccer and maybe you would even remember too, that it wasn't kind of a regular thing that, that rep soccer players did. Yeah. You know, they, you might run laps or do some push-ups or whatever, but there were no real kind of sports specific fitness training programs. So anyway, you know, I, I, I started running that business and, and I, and I, it, it's weird. Cause you say, you know, was that my plan to do what I'm doing now? More or less, I, in a roundabout way, nobody really mentored me on this. I sort of just thought about it and I said, well, if I'm going to get into this career and build this, unique business you know i i want to i want to be the best at it and i kind of thought of okay so what are all the little like subcategories that make up this career and i want to see how can i be the best in each of those and it was just something i came up with really around the age of 25 and i said okay well obviously there's coaching because you have to be very knowledgeable as a coach to work with players so how do you be the best well you got to have an a license so i started taking coaching licenses and eventually you know by 2012, I had an A license. And then I said, okay, well, you know, you also, I think you have to run the business, but look to, you know, to open a facility because it, I, I just saw that as being better than just driving, driving from one field to the next and all that. So, so, you know, eventually I actually did, I opened one small facility in, in 2006 with a partner and, you know, that didn't work out so well, but, and then I managed another facility. And then eventually in 2010, I had my, my soccer fitness training center up, up in Vaughan. And, you know, so I, I kind of went that route of running and managing a facility. Then there was sort of education as a sports scientist, because I had my degree. 
but I, you know, I, I thought, okay, you're not an expert just when you have an undergrad, you need more. And so I, you know, I did all the professional certifications I could, including personal training certifications, strength and conditioning, exercise physiology, as much as I could, nutrition. And, you know, eventually I, I ended up, you know, doing a master's. And, and as now, as I said, you know, I was, I was talked into <laughs> continuing with the PhD. So that's another, like the education category. And then I guess, you know, the last thing would be, well, there's two, but I, I knew that in soccer, like, like to get credibility again, to be the, to be seen as one of the best or one of the top that I, I needed to be working at the higher levels. And so the, I, I, I just volunteered with universe, with a college team at Seneca college, and then with the university at York, where I was a player, because I was still friends with the coaches and then things kind of really snowballed. Like literally, you know, I opened my facility again in the end of 2010, within a year, I had gotten hooked up with the women's national team. As a, as a sports scientist and fitness coach. And, and, and then from there to, to Toronto FC with their academy. And so I always, you know, pushed very hard to, to get connected and, and work at the higher levels of the sport. Uh, in addition to, you know, running the business and, and continuing my education and all that. And, and then I guess eventually that, you know, like, like I, I came up with more another bucket or another category, which was, well, you know, to be an expert, you also have to teach. And so, you know, I, I, I had a master's degree and that kind of opens up opportunities to teach at the college level. I did that for a few years. And, and then again, through, you know, a connection that I made there, I ended up getting now this, you know, this, this part-time job as well at, at the university level. So, so it's sort of, you know, I guess, I don't know if that makes sense, but I kind of thought, okay, how, you know, what's, what's it going to take for me to be the best? And what I figured was, okay, these are the categories and how can I excel in all of them? And I'm, I'm trying, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, not no, easy. It, it does make sense. It's not like you didn't, you didn't know the path at the beginning, but you knew that you wanted to be the best at what you're doing. And so you, you sat down and thought about, okay, well, what are the things that one would have to do to be the best? And I guess there's somewhat of a roadmap in Canada, just kind of branching off the, or copying, if you will, the hockey methodology where there's tons of, again, the dry land training. And I played hockey never at a very high level, but I mean, we did, we did our share of dry land training and it was just like a normal thing. Whereas in soccer, which, which I got up to a decently high level, there was there was off-field fitness training, but it was never really a thing. The first one that I ever did was we did like running training with a, the, a track coach at York University, yeah. which was great. And and it for me it helped me a lot because I was a shit runner, and then that <laughs> and then I got I became a better runner. I learned how to run, but it had but it wasn't specific to soccer. It was just about sprinting and like more track events, which I mean at that age we, we would have been 13 14 something like that it it helped me because just general athleticism but you know getting to the higher level that would not have been enough and i know i remember my brother's team they did some type of i guess off uh, or again off field fitness training with like a tennis trainer and yeah. you know transferability it's all you know sure their kids they're just becoming more athletic and it kind of works but to get actually good it doesn't it's not enough right and so but you know in canada we have such a great hockey program that why don't we just do that with our other sports it seems so simple but but we don't and so you know you had that gap there to really just take it and run with it and and i guess that's why it seems like it happens quickly where you 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 know you go from coaching kids on the side to coaching the national team in a relatively short period of time whereas in hockey that would be that would be more unrealistic of like a time frame to achieve that that level of uh athlete to be working with yeah yeah i mean it, like i guess it's interesting because I, i've thought of that you know often and, and I, i'll tell you just something which is ironic is, is that you know i i was so stubborn about you know 
just focusing on soccer for so long, you know, as I said, my company, I called it soccer fitness. I called my facility, the soccer fitness training center. I made a soccer fitness trainers course. And, and the reality is that just from a business standpoint, you know, that wasn't smart because, you know, the training that I got into doing, and maybe I can talk a little later about, you know, the treadmills and the real unique yeah. science behind that training. It's not specific to soccer at all. It's, it's, it's very helpful for soccer, but it's just as helpful for all the other sports. And eventually with, you know, with enough, you know, smart people in my life to convince me, including my wife, and, you know, that I, I, I was convinced to, to change the name of the company to speed training. And, you know, again, we moved our facility into a multi-sport facility last year and, and, and it, it has, you know, helped quite a bit, you know, to attract people from other sports. So, so that, that's, you know, that, that's a kind of, I guess, a little ironic that I, you know, I was so you know, focused so much on soccer, but the truth is that you know, the, the best success I've had is when I stopped doing that. But, but yeah, I guess like, you know, getting connected at the high level, I mean, it's, um, you definitely need, if, if there's any of your listeners too, that because I, I do think a lot of people that get into to fitness, you know, they are former athletes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I, 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 it can be more exciting to work with sports. That's how it was for me. Cause I, I was a personal trainer too. And I did work, you know, with the general pop and, and, and that's great, but I was a little more excited by working with athletes. And, and so you, of course, you know, a lot of people want to, to do that. So you, you need connections and maybe that's from when you were a player or maybe that's from your coaching. And for me, it was kind of both. And I was lucky that I had lots of great connections from, from doing all that work, a little bit of luck, I would say. And, and then of course, you know, you have to be good because yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing and you get to a high level, then, then you're going to get exposed. So I think, you know, if, if I could give advice to somebody young that wants to get into working at the higher levels of sport, you know, connect yourself uh, whether that, as I said, and for me, it was a lot of volunteer coaching or, you know, coaching where you don't really make much money, but you, you do it you know, literally for, for the, you know, the, the networking that you get out of it. So. For sure. And I mean, I think one of the, one of the biggest differences, and you can confirm this is between working with athletes and in, in the performance space versus working with general population is that athletes are about performance. And so you have to deliver results all the time. And you also have to deliver results like with your personal training, general population clients, their weight loss, but the, but the results are different. Like if that athlete is not getting bigger, faster, stronger, it doesn't really matter how much they like you. They're going to go find someone who's getting, who's going to get them bigger, faster, stronger. Whereas in the general population, it's, I'm going to try to be careful about how I say this, but it's like, you know, if someone just likes you and you're and you're not a good trainer, there are a lot of trainers who who make their living on just being a, a fun person to hang out with. And yeah. you know what? Like that has its place and they're probably doing doing better. Like they're not doing much harm, but they're not necessarily delivering performance results. And I think that's one of the bigger differences with dealing with athletes is you you need to deliver. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and the thing I would add is and maybe this is one of the things that really attracted me more to working with athletes rather than the general population. Not only do you need to deliver results and everything, but, but there are very strict timelines. So more or less, and this is the thing with, with the soccer business anyways, we were very busy in the winter, you know, because everybody was trying to get in shape for April or May. And more or less, you know, if you're not in shape by that time, I mean, there's nothing you can do. And then if you're talking higher levels, well, then the timelines get even you know shorter and, and more strict. It's, it's a six week preseason or, I mean, we have all, all types of athletes. I mean, I, there's a professional boxer that I'm working with, for example. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, he knows, he finds out about a fight that, that he scheduled, you know, even three weeks before or something. So, so I found sometimes with the general population, because you don't always attach 
or, or there isn't like a like an inherent attached timeline to their fitness goals you can stray from you know staying on a path to achieving goals and it doesn't really matter i mean it's it's not the end of the world if somebody takes uh, five months to lose weight rather than two or three or or or, or, or get stronger or any goal that you have really so that was something that i i, I kind of like because it's, you know athletes have to get in shape they have they don't have a choice so yes anyway <laughs> i 100 agree and that's something that i think that i uh, or the way that I approach many of my clients and many of the good trainers who I know and, and work with and, and whatever, we kind of have this thing where it's like so a lot of people come in and they don't necessarily know what their goal is because they don't, they're not getting ready for preseason. They're not getting ready for a trial or something like that. It's just, oh, I, I want to get healthier. And it's like, okay, that's good. That's a great goal. But like, let's, let's define that a little bit, put like some sort of deadline, put a little pressure, if you will, on that. And let's like define some performance metrics to to test this on so that we can like actually push forward and like work towards something otherwise it's just it's too easy to skip a week here uh you know i want to do this for for the next three weeks i want to go to the cottage for the next two weeks and it's like well okay we're not just we're just not making progress and you know people sometimes people are happy to you know keep taking your money but i want to also help people too and if if you're not improving then i don't really want to work with that person either right Uh, yeah and and you know i honestly think that that because i know you give examples of maybe they're I experienced it too with doing personal training that, that, um, often, you know, they become your friend, a little, the client, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I, I think you need a connection and, and even, you know, with athletes too, you need to develop trust and all that, that rapport is important, but I actually, you know, I think the best personal trainers are the ones who, who, who have those soft skills and develop a connection, but also are organized also set, you know, realistic and, and specific goals and get good results. I think the best ones are the ones that can do both. And then, then maybe on top of that, then you need some business savvy, you know, because of, you know, at some point you have to try to scale what you're doing or else you're just, you're going to be working with one client at a time, you know, all day, every day. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, that there's something about that, about teaching others and developing a system and all yeah. that, but, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think com- combining the, you know, the soft skills with, uh, you know, goal setting and, 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 and results regardless of who you work with that that's that's the best approach yeah absolutely and i mean uh, again just to reiterate the same is with athletes you know they're humans first they're athletes second and it's like you know if if you're if you're a complete asshole but you're like the absolute best trainer in the world you can you can maybe and that those are extreme examples but you can maybe get away with a few things but that doesn't mean that doesn't make it ideal it doesn't make it optimal uh, an optimal environment for athletes right yeah and uh, i can say i mean you know i've at the higher level that, you know, I've been with a, in a few different environments and, and also you need to know your audience and, and, and know who you're working with. Like just to give an example and, you know, again, this is not all girls, but you know, of course there are some differences between females and males in terms of their personality, their psychology. Mm-hmm. So with the women's national team, you know, I, I really did find that, you know, you, you really had to earn their trust first and then they would work hard you know, no matter what, they would be very, very, but in the beginning when they didn't know me, you know, I, it was sort of, it was a challenge. Um, you know, whereas, you know, I've, I've worked with a few different men's professional clubs and I can tell you there's a difference. I've, I've been in Canada and I've also been in, in Uruguay in South America. There's a big difference in culture there, but men in general, you know, you can kind of come out and honestly, you can be a bit of an asshole right off the bat. And, you know, and, and, and if you, well, you know, if you if you kind of exert your authority right in the beginning, 
uh, you know, whether that's something, you know, you run with them or it's your voice or your personality. I kind of learned those things that, you know, then you, you almost force them to respect you. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course. And, <laughs> and, and it's, trust you later. Yeah. yeah. It's just part of being a good coach is just knowing, knowing your athlete, knowing your audience and, and finding ways to connect with them. Some people like that hard ass approach. Some people totally shut down with that hard ass approach. And it's just up to the coach. It's what makes one a good coach is to, is to know the difference when to use it and when not to. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I'll say it's, you know, it's obviously not all men, not all women, but, but yeah. those are just some of the experiences I've had. So. For sure. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to bring things back a little bit to some of the training stuff, because we, you mentioned before the high speed treadmills, you were the first person that I ever saw or that I ever knew of who was like really using this. I don't know if you were the first one, but, but you're the first one that I knew you're probably very early in it. Cause it's been as long as I can remember now that since I remember you opening your business yeah. that you were using it. And now I'm starting to see it a little bit you know, pop up here, uh, here and there on social media, but you've been at this for a while. So why don't you go ahead and explain what that is and, and why it kind of matters and, and all that. Great. Okay. So I'll start just maybe a little bit of the background science. And then, yeah. I mean, um, so, 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 um, the, the, whether you're an athlete or your general population, you know, typically, you know, one of the main goals of a fitness training program is always going to be improving the function of the energy systems the aerobic system, the anaerobic systems. And, you know, without getting into all the details, the, the reality is that, you know, the, the, the literature is very clear that, that interval training and specifically high intensity interval training or HIIT training is much more effective at stimulating improvements to the energy system. And if it's an athlete, that means they're going to perform better. If it's general population, it also means weight loss and fat loss. It's much more effective to use intervals than it is to do any type of continuous cardiovascular exercise. That's one. And the second thing, which is really where the treadmills come in, because you can do interval training anyway, there's a million ways to do it, but the improvements that you make, and again, the literature is also very clear on this, is that the improvements that you make with interval training are dependent upon the intensity of the intervals. So what that means is that the higher the intensity of the intervals you do, the greater magnitude of improvement. So, you know, more weight loss, you know, more mitochondria in the muscles, all that kind of stuff. And the faster the improvements come, meaning maybe they come in three weeks or four weeks, as opposed to six to eight weeks with continuous training. So, or with lower intensity intervals rather. So interval training is the best way to improve fitness and the intensity of the intervals is, you know, is going to determine the magnitude and and, and the uh, uh, speed of, of the improvement. So, I basically was drawn to the use of these high speed and high incline treadmills because I could clearly see, you know, from way back when, when I first was introduced to them, that, it, that they, that they are a way to train and improve and increase and maximize the intensity of high intensity interval training. You just get better intensity by doing, you know, high speed and high incline running on a treadmill than you can on the ground. So that's kind of the, the, the background, you know, science, right? And, and I'll tell you, you know, how did I get introduced to it? So in between me, you know, closing down the first facility that I opened and then opening the second one, there was a period of a couple of years and I was actually hired uh, to, to be the manager of the, the very first uh, Athletic Republic franchise in Canada. And Athletic Republic is a company still fairly big in the States. They have over 100, over 100 locations for sure. And that company was actually started, uh, you know, they were the first ones ever to build a high speed running treadmill. And they have, you know, still, I think some kind of a patent on it or something, but it's, it's a machine that goes about 30 miles an hour and it has an incline of about 40, 
you know, 40 degrees. And so, so it's, it's a high performance, you know, high speed treadmill. And uh, so I was the manager of this facility and, uh, you know, they had all their specific education courses where they, they would bring the, you know, the employees out to Chicago to their headquarters. And I learned all the science behind the training. I met, you know, some of the, some of the top people in the organization that had developed the protocols and how to use it and how to train with it. And again, you know, more or less what I'm telling to you, that's sort of what I learned initially from them, which is that, hey, you know, uh, uh, what we're doing, we're not replacing training on the field, we're not replacing, you know, weight training and all that other stuff, but this is a way specifically to target the energy systems in a more intense way than you can do on the ground. And there's a few reasons for that. One is the speed of the machine itself. Like, it's just not possible for you to go and try to run at the speeds that you can on a treadmill. And, and again, ours, you know, that we have in our facility is, is different than the Athletic Republic one because ours actually has a harness first of all, as a safety harness, so it keeps you from falling. But second of all, it's also an unweighting harness, which means it, we can take a certain amount of body weight away. And when you take, you know, when you unweight during a run, you can actually, uh, you know, the run is easier. So, so basically, you know, uh, you, you can run at a much higher speed being unweighted than you can on the ground. So, of course, the speeds make the intervals more intense and also the inclines. You know, running up a hill and hill training is a common method of training for for anyone, it's great to do, but you don't necessarily always maintain the same velocity or speed when you run up a hill. When you get tired, you slow down, and when you slow down, the intensity drops a little bit. So, so in a safe way with this equipment, we're able to, you know, literally to push people harder than they can push themselves. And so, anyway, so I, you know, I managed this facility, and you know, it was just an impossible job because I was being asked to do all of the sales and marketing. I, I, I wasn't even allowed to hire another trainer. You know, I was doing all the training myself and, uh, you know, it just, it just was an impossible job. So I loved the science, but I, I hated the job. So, so I quit and I decided that, uh, you know, I was going to take about a year, save up some money, make a business plan. And I did all that in 2010. And then at the end of it, then, you know, I took a huge risk and I put, you know, all the money I had, I took a loan, a line of credit, actually not a loan line of credit from the bank and then my parents lent me a little bit of money and and uh, you know I opened that that soccer fitness training center and and again you know we we I, I used a similar model to Athletic Republic but I I believe I changed it and made it better one of the reasons was this modified modified treadmill was company was called Noramco now they're called Tough Tread and I, you know I'm still I was the first in Canada to use the, the, the treadmill I'm still the only facility in Canada to use it and they have a, a, a again a, the treadmill max speed is 31 miles per hour max incline is 40 percent but it also has that unweighting harness so you can do really high speed over speed training I can talk a little later maybe about the science behind that you can also run backwards in it you can do sideways lateral movements in it you know, um, you can dribble a soccer ball on it. Like it's, it's just an amazing machine. And, and, you know, and then, and then I did all kinds of other types of training protocols as well, but basically that was, you know, that I got like my, the, the story of, you know, the high speed treadmills and why I used them was I really, really loved and, and believed in the science. And, uh, you know, I, I found a way to do it on my own. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, in a world where there's so many, so many gimmicky new pieces of technology, I'll try this this type of training tool, this waist trainer, this thing. And, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of garbage out there and a lot of it doesn't do, doesn't actually have any tangible effect on, on an athlete or a regular person in in any way. 
And one thing that is super common and I think become even more common with, with COVID is in, in all the workout classes and follow along stuff is this concept of HIIT training. Almost yeah. everyone and probably anyone who's who's listening to this podcast has, has heard of or has done HIIT training. Now, just to reiterate what you said, yeah. when you're when you're talking about high intensity, it it means almost to your maximal intensity, not it, a little not, bit. If not even supra maximal. So exactly, yeah, so. and and we'll get into that with with the yeah. overspeed stuff. But um, just to like make a make this point because this irritates me to to no end is like getting a little bit out of breath is not high intensity. No. Like you need to be pushing to the point where you're you know your legs are falling off, almost gonna puke. Like that's that is hit training, not going a little bit faster and then a little bit slower. That's just changing your speed and you're basically doing steady state more or less at that, at that level. So anyways, I just really wanted to make that a point. But, um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that with this treadmill, you can control the, the intensity. So like you mentioned, running up a hill or running on the field, you have to do those things too, because in soccer or in any sport, you don't run on a treadmill. Like you need to do your, your field runs and all that stuff. But, um, but you can't control that intensity. It's it, you will get tired. You can't, you don't ever know how fast you're running on the field. I, I mean, there are things you can use, but like, it's, it's, it's harder to regulate it. Right. Very and difficult. so when you're getting specific training, you can, and, and you have a tool like that treadmill where you can regulate the speed, it, it makes a big difference. And it, and it certainly plays a role and, and it's not one of these gimmicky nonsense pieces of equipment that's fancy for, for no reason. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, I, I believed in it so much that, that when I did decide to go back, uh, you know, and start my master's degree, I, by the way, I, I was, I'll tell you just short story, which is I, I was the, the father of a kid at the Toronto FC Academy when I was there, um, who was also a biomechanist at the University of Guelph. You know, he kind of was, I guess, you know, a little impressed or whatever with some of the presentations I gave to the parents and and, you know, he, and then he looked me up and he saw that, you know, I was using these, these treadmills and stuff. And he, he, he basically convinced me that it would be a good idea to, you know, to do my master's and, and, and my, my whole work, like, so the, the studies that I ended up, you know, uh, conducting and publishing and, and my whole thesis was centered around comparing uh, the effectiveness of training on, on my treadmills to other types of ground-based training. And so, uh, you know, there were four studies, uh, um, one of them ended up, being published in, in, a, in a journal called International Research in Science and Soccer. And the other three, they were presented, you know, I haven't, I haven't written the papers, you know, maybe I will one day, but anyway, but um, in any case, four separate studies, which compared training on the treadmill to ground-based training. And in each of them, the uh, effectiveness of the treadmill was equal or better in terms of improving speed and improving recovery. So that's the yo-yo test, you know, and in the end, recovery, I mean, again, that, that's very good for athletes, but it's also very good for everybody else. Um, as I said, weight loss, fat loss, the, the physiological mechanisms behind improving cardiovascular fitness, they are dependent on intensity. And you're absolutely right. I, I, I cringe sometimes when I see things online that are called HIIT training, and it's just somebody like doing jumping jacks or something like that. <laughs> I just think, no, you know, you have to understand, you know, it means 80%, 85, 90% of maximum at least. And you have to maintain it for 30 seconds, at least, if not more. And, you know, if you don't do that, you're not going to get results. So in any case, yeah, I, I uh, it, it, what I'm doing, it may look gimmicky. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's people that, you know, see it and it looks a little, little strange and, you know, it's, it's unconventional, but 
there is very, very sound physiology and biomechanics. I could speak about that maybe a bit later, but, but, but very, very sound science behind the training and evidence. A lot of it is from my own research. Other research has been done as well. It does work. And the, one of the reasons that it, it, it is so effective is because the intensity you can achieve with the treadmill is higher than you can on your own a lot of times. And as you said, you can control the intensity much better than you can on your own. It's difficult to do. So. Yeah, I think and I think it only looks gimmicky because it's something new and then people will see it and it's like, well, I don't I don't understand what's happening here, you know, in just a, a 30 second Instagram post like people just don't understand. And so, you know, anyone who's not really interested or gonna willing to take the time to learn about it is gonna be like, oh, what is this this nonsense? But if you know, if you take a few minutes to talk to someone like yourself or, or talk to someone who's done it, um, then, you know, you'll realize that, oh, this is this is this is legit. This is something that's real. Yeah, for sure. And so, so tell me about the overspeed training and how that's like, how that's effective and, and, and really like what it means. Sure. So, so basically overspeed means uh, applying some type of assistance to running or to, to sprint faster than you normally can on your own. And so um, if we think of running speed, running speed is basically the product of stride length times stride frequency. Stride length is how long the stride is. That's related to strength and force and power and then frequency that means how quickly your legs can move and typically that it's harder to do it's harder to improve frequency so so and, and again because that, that's you literally have to make the legs move faster it's a neuromuscular improvement rather than kind of a, a mechanical improvement so in any case so so um you have to apply some type of assistance to make someone run faster than they normally can the traditional, conventional, let's say, ways to do that would have been either to run or sprint down a hill, or um, let's say uh, uh, those elastic uh, loading devices. So if you could, you know, not, I mean, no one's watching this, but you know, you've got one person in front that has a little harness around around their chest or whatever, and, and, and there's a you know maybe a 10 foot or 15 foot long um, uh, you know uh, rubber uh, cord, and that cord is attached to another athlete behind the first person around the waist. So let's say I've, I've got the harness on my chest and then you're, you've got it on your waist. So I run forward, assisting you, you sprint. So you are doing, you're, you're running the fastest that you can and you're getting the assistance from me pulling you. So those are kind of the two conventional ways to do it. The way we're doing it is with this high speed tre treadmill and the unweighting harness. And again, we have people in that harness that can run even up to 20% faster than they can run on the ground. And again, we can control that, right? So, so that's one advantage. But the other advantage of the treadmill versus those conventional methods is that um, there are mechanical changes that you get. So for example, when you run downhill and anyone who's ever done this will, will, will know right away, there's braking forces that are produced, meaning you, you feel like you're going to fall. <laughs> so, so you, you know, you, you basically, you end up, you know, kind of overusing the, the muscles on the front of the leg, the quadriceps specifically, and, and even, you know, the, the muscles in the shin and stuff. So, so when you want to transfer to on field performance, the last thing you want is braking because braking slows you down. You want propulsive forces. So that's a mechanical issue that you have with downhill running. It's just not necessarily so effective, even though you're moving faster because you've got the force of gravity and, you know, you're breaking. So, so that's downhill running. And then the harness, and again, this was actually one of my studies, which we compared training with the loading devices versus overspeed training. What happens? And again, I'll use that analogy. I'm pulling you, you've got a harness on your waist. 
Well, your hips get pushed forward. Okay. And, and so, and, and, and almost, you know, your, your, your back goes into a bit of a hyperextension. And so it, you know, that's not an optimal position to produce force when running, because what that means is that your whole center of mass moves out in front of your torso. So really what you want is you want, and you can look at like, when I teach this, even in my courses that I teach now, you know, we, I tell people, look, don't, don't take it from me. Just watch the hundred final on YouTube, the hundred meter you know, finals and just, you know, freeze frame it after the first 10 or 20 meters. And you're going to see torsos that are perpendicular to the ground, you know, and hip, you know, hip flexion where the thigh is parallel to the ground. And, and you can't do that. If your hips are being pulled forward, you need, you need to have an upright straight posture. So that's a mechanical issue. Now, it still works. And, and as I said, this study was another one that showed both the loading device training and the treadmill training improved athlete speed. However, the improvement was greater with the treadmill. And I believe one of the reasons for that is a hypothesis that I had at the end is, is because of the mechanical efficiency that you get from, because when you sprint on a treadmill, there are changes to the mechanics for sure. It's not like normal running, but it's more like normal running than the other two. Right. And so that's, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's basically the science behind it. And, and the truth is that there, there, again, there are some mechanical differences in general, running on a treadmill versus running on the ground, but running on a treadmill is a way to, it's a very effective way to teach and train, you know, good running mechanics. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and I mean, just running mechanics is, is something that I think maybe a lot of people, maybe younger athletes or, or parents of younger athletes listening to this is, you know, we all, everyone can run. Like it's a, it's a skill that most people have. It's not like skating, you know, some people can't, can't skate, uh, but everyone can run, but n- most people can't run well. And so it is, it is something that needs to be improved. And I, I know for sure that that happened to me. I, I said it at the beginning, I used to be a terrible runner and then we, we did the training with the track coach and whatever, and I became a better runner and, you know, been better since then. But, uh, but yeah, and the other thing with just those other two methods you mentioned, they just seem unsafe, like sprinting full (laughs) speed down a hill doesn't seem very safe. Like you might, you know, you might do it when you're five years old, you're just playing, but chances are you're just going to end up tumbling, tumbling down the hill, right? It doesn't seem very, very reasonable as a, as a legitimate training tool as as a professional athlete or a high level athlete of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, I mean, a lot of times athletes and coaches and, you know, sprint coaches and stuff, they'll look for a very slight grade, you know, so it's, but, but, but again, you know, you, no matter what, if you're running at, at any grade downhill, you are going to, you're going to feel like you're going to fall and, you know, to avoid falling, you're going to, you know, you're going to break and, and, and yeah, so, so it, it's just, um, I, I guess equipment and technology that, that is allowing for a, uh, a, a just a more effective uh, training stimulus. And, uh, and, and again, it, it, as you said, it, it doesn't replace, you know, training in the treadmill and all that. I've, I've been very you know, adamant about this because I even teach courses for soccer coaches about how to do fitness training on the field with a ball. So it's, I'm not, you know, kind of, you know, closed minded about things, but, but, uh, you know, the reality is that the training on a treadmill does not replace training for a sport. It doesn't replace weight training. It, you know, these are kind of separate things that complement each other. But if the goal is running faster, and then by extension, if the goal is also the performance of the aerobic system, which helps you recover in between the runs, and again, those, those improvements are dependent upon intensity. This is a way to make, to make the intensity of the runs better, 
higher and therefore the results are, are better. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even just to simplify that for non-athletes, like if you run on a treadmill, a regular treadmill, not a high-speed treadmill, yeah. if you go for a 20, 30-minute run on a regular treadmill and then go for a 20-minute run outside, like it's different. It doesn't yeah. feel the same. It's it's much easier to run on the treadmill. In my experience as someone who used to be great at running when I played soccer and now sucks at it, but trying to get back into it just because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's much easier and mechanics are just different on a treadmill, but both are useful and both have their place in whatever type of training that one is doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned was, was recovery and, and recovery kind of like intro workout, but then between workouts and just recovery overall and this concept of overtraining and undertraining, which I know is something that you've spoken about before and yeah. something that I have my own thoughts on this undertraining thing. And then people are, I posted something about this the other day where it's like, you know, people are, are focused on recovery and it's very sexy to do the ice baths and, you know, you got to go to your cryo and you got to go to your massage therapy and you got to do all these things. But it's like, most people are really not training that hard. Like, let's be real. If we just go back to our hit example, you're doing, you know, you're, you're at 60% of your max in your high intensity phase. You're not really pushing the boundaries. You don't need three days to recover after a 30 minute YouTube class. Right? So, so let me know what you think about this undertraining overtraining concept and how it applies to kind of both athletes and, and general population. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, and I, I've, I've, uh, I should mention, I, I had an article, I mean, it originally was just something I wrote and on my blog and, and then eventually I made a video about it. And, and then I thought, well, so I'm, I'm connected to, um, uh, the, the, the editor of, of the, the journal of the Canadian strength and conditioning association. He's a friend and colleague of mine. And, you know, he saw it and he said, Oh, you know, why don't you beef this up a bit and maybe we can publish it. So, so I did, I, you know, I added a lot more science and, stuff to the article and then made it more of an academic paper and then now it's been published in that journal so so the article is called the overtraining myth and it said why undertraining is a more likely cause of youth sports injuries so this is the myth you know in my opinion it is supported by the science but it's my opinion as well so we know that youth athletes are getting hurt more now than they used to so uh um and, and we also know that, that sports programs now are more full-time and year-round than they used to. So this is kind of the fallacy of assuming causation from correlation, meaning kids are getting hurt more and they're you know playing sports year-round. Therefore, the injuries are being caused by playing sports year-round. And, and again, that kind of playing sports year round, you can, you can call that overtraining. That's a word that's used a lot, meaning, Hey, they're training too much. So what's the solution? If you're training too much train less. Okay. So this is why I believe this is a myth. Um, I know my own sport soccer very, very well. I've tested thousands of players. And one of the things that, that, you know, basically is very well known, you know, in, in, academic you know sports science community is actual overtraining in order to get to a state in which you are overtrained as an athlete first of all you'd have to be training at a high intensity almost every day of the week this is something that happens in people getting ready for the olympics you know uh top level professionals and college athletes you know it's, it's very uncommon in kids to be training that much or to be training at that intensity and also the fitness level that you would have prior to being overtrained would be very, very high. And this is why I say it's a myth that youth 
soccer players anyway, which I know very well, that they are overtraining. There's no way they're overtraining because I've tested them and none of them are in shape. Their aerobic endurance is very poor. And so you can't have poor aerobic endurance and be overtrained. Now, uh, going back to, you know, what's the more likely cause of, of youth injuries? Well, the more likely cause is that these athletes who are not well-trained or under-trained are then getting thrown into competitions and, and, and kind of a long schedule that they're not really prepared for. And when you're not in shape, you're much more likely to get hurt either in a game or training itself or from an accumulation of fatigue, because when you're not in shape, not only do you not recover well in the short term, you also don't recover well in the long term. Across all sports, the athletes who recover better from training are the ones that are more aerobically fit. So what does that mean? You need better intensity training, higher intensity training, and better periodization of training. And I know maybe we don't have enough time to talk about everything, but, but periodization is really is about understanding how to quantify training load and then how to increase training load in gradual incremental steps so that you don't do which, what I think most youth soccer players are doing, which is very, very low intensity training for a long time. And then a, you know, a hard game on the weekend. And, and then after a few weeks of that, they get hurt. And then again, the myth is, well, there must be overtraining. So we better, you know, instead of three practices a week, we better go down to two. And, and then, you know, that's kind of like a cycle that keeps repeating itself because the, the athletes who are less fit get hurt more. And then I'll speak, cause I know you mentioned about recovery. And so I'll, I'll just say that, you know, there are lots of, now they're not gimmicks, but there are lots of modalities, activities, uh, things that top professional athletes do. You can talk about nutritional supplements. You can talk, I know you mentioned cryotherapy, uh, um, uh, compression uh, boots and, and socks and, 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 you know, those types of devices which do help those athletes who are training very at a high intensity, multiple days of the week or every day of the week, do help them to stay healthy and recover. But these are top professional athletes who, first of all, have already fixed all of the other things in their training. Their diets are already very good. They're already doing a very well periodized training program. They're getting enough sleep. You know, they've got coaches that know what they're doing. You know, they fixed all of those things. And then they go and do, you know, use these other modalities to give them a little edge. So what I don't like, and I just don't agree with, I think it makes no sense is to do, you know, to use recovery boots when you're not training hard enough, you're not eating well, you're not sleeping, you're not taking care of all of the, the simple things that build the foundation of becoming an athlete. But yet, you know, you're doing at that point, that is when it does become a gimmick. And in my opinion is a waste of money. Uh, I know you, you, we chatted before about, you know, topics to discuss and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, technology and even recovery technology, it's great, but I don't like to focus on those things at the expense of the real fundamentals. And, and those are periodization of training load, you know, nutrition and sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, you know, if you've got endless money to burn, then, then, you know, whatever, but the compression boots, the chirotherapy chamber, like none of that, it will ever offset sleeping four hours a night, staying up all night, playing video games. If you're a kid or, or if you're an adult, you know, you know whatever, or, or being super stressed about work all the time, drinking too much alcohol, like eating takeout every day of the week, like no, no tool is really going to, or, or even supplement for that matter. None of these things are going to 
offset those poor behaviors. And so this concept of like, yeah, maybe some people are under recovering even from their one or two workouts a week because the rest of their lifestyle is so bad. But the the answer to that is not more recovery tools. The answer is like fix the the easy stuff or the simple stuff rather. And then, and then work on like actually training hard and push yourself and like build up some resilience in your body. Like if your body can't handle, you know, one workout a week, two workouts a week, that's, that's not okay. Like that's not normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I would say that, you know, this is for anyone athlete or non-athlete general population. I mean, periodization, you know, quantifying your training load and making small incremental increases that that's the way you do it. And, and if you're a non-athlete, well, Hey, the good news is you've got more time because <laughs> you don't have to be in shape by, you know, by May or by June or whatever you can, you know, you can take your time with it more, but that's the way to make improvements in your fitness. And, and it's the way to, to, again, to be healthier and recover better yeah. because in the end, as I said, like the, the science is very clear on this and you can think back to when you were a soccer player that the athletes who got hurt the least were the fittest ones. It's the unfit ones that, that were always injured. Yep, absolutely. I, I know that all of the, I had many knee injuries and many issues and almost all of them happened in like preseason or at a time where we were off for a couple of weeks. Then it was at where I was at, where I had a low level of fitness at, in that moment. And then, and then the injury hit. Now there were like a whole bunch of other things that were happening biomechanically with me that whatever, we don't need to get into that. I did a whole episode on my knee stuff, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was certainly having low level of fitness didn't help that at all. And I mean, it is what it is that people, people need to, there is a balance. There is this under recovering that is a real thing, but you also need to like actually push your training hard as well. Mm-hmm. One thing that I kind of wanted to circle back to with like the youth athletes and in, in the concept of under training and that, um, more of the specificity of sport, it seems to be coming something that's happening more now from what I can see where kids are specializing in sport at an earlier age. And so a kid who plays hockey or soccer or baseball, whatever is playing that sport 12 months of the year, as opposed to playing soccer in the summer, you play, you know, you do something else in the fall, you play hockey in the winter, and you kind of just get this general athleticism until you become 16, 17 years old, where you, you dial in your sport and you go hard at it. So how does that contribute to, to all of these, these, these methods? That's a good, good question. And I'll tell you, it's, it's a, another topic I'm really interested in. I've done a couple of YouTube videos, which I'm going to put out soon about it. And, and then maybe an article eventually too. So it's the kind of the debate between early versus late specialization. So until very, very recently, I mean, in Canada anyway, in North America in general, you know, even the best athletes in any sport were, were, were late specializers because there was no such thing as a full year round soccer hockey basketball football program i mean you basically you played soccer in the summer and hockey in the winter or a combination of you know soccer and football or soccer and tennis or you know whatever like like there just wasn't full-time year-round sports and i think the mentality of the people who are pushing the early specialization model which is to play one sport almost year-round or whatever the mentality and it's not necessarily coming from a bad place it's basically it's hey you know, if you train more in that one sport, you're, you're getting more practice hours in that sport and maybe you're going to become better at it. And, you know, but, but the problem is that uh, this, this flies in the face a little bit of, of the evidence, which is that by being a late specializer and participating in many different sports, you get a greater variety of athletic you know, stimuli. Um, 
even just the simple example of hockey versus soccer. Well, soccer is a sport where you use all three energy systems, you know, but it's, it has a very, very strong aerobic component. Hockey is a sport where you also use all three energy systems, but it has a much stronger anaerobic component. So if you play both sports, then you get a period of time in the year where you develop the aerobic system more and another period of time in the year where you develop the anaerobic system. And of course, you know, in hockey, you skate. So you use your, you know, your adductors more and, you know, maybe, maybe some parts of the hip more in soccer. Of course, there's a lot of quadriceps and, you know, like, like so the, even the muscular and the mechanical things are different. Um, you know, you throw in there maybe basketball where you're using your upper body more like, you know, so, so, so that overall, you know, greater variety of athletic stimuli leads to better ath overall athletic development leads to, um, let's say, so, so because you get better athletic development in the end, you become a better athlete. And, and the other thing is because you're not constantly repeating the same thing over and over mechanically, you get actually a much lower risk of injury. And so when I say the evidence is very clear, this is in these videos that I'm going to put out, I'm talking about this is that, you know, that the research shows that athletes who specialize later, and typically that means around the ninth or 10th grade. So until that time, they don't just do one sport. They do many sports and around ninth grade, then they cut out the other sports and just do the one that they're the best at. Those athletes are more likely to get to a higher level. Uh, they tend to perform better on fitness tests. So their overall athletic ability is better and they're much less likely to get hurt. So it's better. And I mean, if I know you're, you got a kind of a, an eclectic mix in your, your listeners, right? So, so if there's parents of young athletes, you know, they really should be doing multiple sports. And even if it's, you know, personal training clients or personal trainers, you know, I would encourage you know, clients to not just to do one thing, you know, maybe, you know, try, try, try yoga, try other stuff. Like it, it's, it's your, and, and, oh, by the way, the other interesting thing with the evidence is they've done a lot of psychological uh, measures. And so children who participate in multiple sports have higher self-esteem. They have better social relationships. They're less likely to be depressed or suffer from anxiety. You know, so this is like, there's a whole added psychological side, you know, benefit to it too. So, so yeah, yeah, late specialization is good. Doing a variety of physical activities is good. And uh, again, athlete or non-athlete in the end, it, it's always better. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, just bringing it back to like uh, general population people is like, you don't have to lift weights. You don't have to do cardio. You don't have to do yoga. You can do all of the things. And like, yeah, if you want, like, if you want to look like a bodybuilder, like, yeah, you got to, you got to do with bodybuilder things. You can't just do yoga and look like a bodybuilder. It doesn't, doesn't work. But to be healthy, you just need to move your body in whichever way you enjoy. That's like number one. And so, you know, we have this, this concept of like trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. It's just, it's, or whatever the saying is, it's, it's not going to work if you're, if you're trying to force yourself to do something that you hate or that doesn't feel good for your body or a sport that you're just not good at, like a, a, a kid who, whose parents want them to be a basketball player and they, you know, you force that kid to play basketball and maybe when they're eight years old, they're great at basketball. But, you know, they become 16 and, and they're, they're, you know, they're five foot five. That kid's not making the NBA, no matter how good he was or she was when, when they're eight years old. And so by forcing that down, down that child's throat, it's only going to lead to negative consequences where, you know, you expose yourself to many sports, you leave your options open if the pro route is, is something that you're looking for or, or just general happiness and enjoyment with, with sports. So we don't ever want to make sports and physical activity be something that is 
taking away from our life. It's always something I think that should be adding to our life, enjoyment and, and, and improving our health and all those things. And the second that that flip gets switched to a point where, oh, now I'm getting injured. Now I don't like the sport. Now physical activity is like a a punishment more than more than playtime. Then we've we've missed the mark completely there. I agree. And and I, just all the years of coaching and, and playing before that and all that, like I just I've lost track of the number of times I've seen the same kind of thing play out, which is, you know, uh, kids that have some talent, uh, but the parents are just I don't know, they just think, you know, they think it's that their kid is the next, you know, Messi or, you know, back in my day would be Maradona or, you know, and, and they're like, there's all this pressure put on them. And eventually what happens is that they just can't deal with the pressure anymore. And, and, and even though, again, they're talented and they may be performing well, but then they have a bad game and all of a sudden it's just the pressure to, 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 you know, to succeed and to please, please their you know mother and father. Usually it's the father, but you know, to, to, you know, to, 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 to always perform at that high level, it's just not possible to, to maintain or to sustain. You get a little older, you know, you get other things in your life that you're interested in and, and then, and then you stop and, and then that's unfortunate because it, it would be really nice if, of course, only you know less than one percent of everybody who plays sports is going to become a professional. So it's great if they do, but you know we don't have to expect that. But but it would be great if people who who love sports when they're young still continue to love and continue to participate in those sports when they're older. And and that doesn't happen when there's a lot of pressure put on young athletes because then they quit and and they may never go back to it. So. Yeah, because it, because it always has a, it leaves a negative taste in their mouth to even go you know play a pickup basketball game with with your buddies if you know you were berated for not you know making it to the college level or to whatever like you know you're not going to want to go play for fun with your buddies when you're when you're older it's just not something that's going to happen. Yeah. One thing that I kind of wanted to to circle back to um, in in regards to the late specialization in terms of like what you're doing with your with your business the generalization of different sports. So speed is something that is, it, it matters in every single sport. Obviously there are different mechanics, like a boxer doesn't need the same type of speed as a soccer player, you know, that boxers need to sprint, but, but it, but it matters. And so how has like marrying all these different sports um, impacted your ability as a coach to like, to, to teach this and, and to coach it with your athletes? So I would say, um, again, I, I, I wish I'd done it sooner, but, but the reality is that, you know, that the, you know, the transitioning into, into, into just, you know, offering our training to other sports, it's, it's really kind of solidified the idea that, that, yeah, um, all sports, um, except maybe things like the marathon or, or, you know, but even there, the, you know, the, in any case, all sports, except a very few of them involve repeated bouts of high intensity activity. The only difference with any sport is, okay, the type of activity, you know, I, I know you mentioned boxing, the high intensity actions there are mostly flurries of punches and dodging and things like that. And if it's soccer, of course, it's running. And if it's hockey, it's skating and, and so on. So the type of activity, uh, the duration, I, again, I know soccer very well. You change actions about every three seconds. Uh, you know, you change speed and direction about every four or five seconds, you know, so so the, the how long uh, the high intensity actions are. I mentioned hockey. Hockey often the shifts can go 30 to 45 seconds. And within those shifts, you have bouts of six to 10 seconds of very intense work. That's why the lactic acid levels are so high, you know, so so uh, that's different. And, and then also the rest interval in between those high intensity actions. So sometimes I like to compare soccer to football 
and you can just look at you know football players of course they're they're they tend to be a lot bigger and more muscular and one of the reasons that they can carry that extra weight and muscle mass as opposed to a lot of soccer players is because in football you rest a lot more in between all of the sprints you know there's a play clock and the offense plays while the defense rests and so there's just more recovery. So it's, it's very anaerobic. And so in any case, all sports involve repeated bouts of high intensity actions. It's just those, those, you know, those, those unique uh, characteristics of the actions themselves and the rest intervals that are different. So basically what we've done with our protocols is, is customize the energy system work to the sport. So with boxers, yeah, you know, they don't sprint forward like that, but to train, you know, the function of the heart and the strength of the cardiovascular system, it's excellent. It, you know, boxers have very high levels of lactic acid and, and you know, they, 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 their rounds are three minutes within that round. There's, you know, if you look at their heart rates, it's up, down, up, down, and then it eventually it, it climbs from round to round. So, right. And, 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 and so we've patterned the, the training after that to try to mimic the aerobic stimulus that they get. We do have, you know, basketball, football. We have some of those sports where we, we let the athletes rest a lot more in between the, the sprints that they do. Um, goalkeepers is another, you know, it's a position in soccer where you do rest a lot more. So, so it's, it's, uh, again, it's sort of, uh, allowed, you know, me and our team, you know, at, at speed training to, 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 to get very, uh, you know, specific and customize the high intensity interval training to the sport. And again, it's a way to get great results with any sport. Yeah, and I think the the beauty there is that there is so much uh, generalization for an athlete mixed in or married to specialization for that sport. Because if you want to be a boxer, a soccer player, you have to train like a soccer player or a boxer. You can't, you know, try and be a boxer and then train like a soccer player. It's just not going to work. And so, you know, to to translate this to to the non-athlete world, and and I've said this before, and I I know that I'm going to say this every single podcast just to whoever's listening – Athletes are people who are professional athletes who, just for definition purposes, it, it is their job to play a sport and, and get paid for it, and that's all that they do. The rest of us can be athletes in life, and you should be able to run, jump, throw, all these things, but it is not your job. Moving on. Um, Good point. N- now I actually just forgot what I was saying. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So so to translate that, that back to real life is if you want to get stronger, you can't be you know, on, on like a weight loss protocol. If you want to get, if you want to get bigger muscles, you can't be eating chicken and salad and, and, you know, one meal a day, that's just not going to work. And so it's like, yes, there are general principles, but you also have to do things that are specific to your goals and whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And, and, and that's for athletes and for regular people. And it's something that is, is often missed where in this mess of information that exists out there and, Oh, well, you know, LeBron James does this. So I should do that. Well, you're not LeBron James. You're not Cristiano Ronaldo. You're not these people. So you need to do what works for you as an individual. Yeah. That's the principle of specificity. And I I know, I I guess, uh, you know, um, Earlier on uh, in our conversation, I, I remember you mentioned about, you know, people who, who tell you that, you know, a client that, that tells you, you know, you ask them what their goals are and they say, well, I want to get fitter. <laughs> You're going to need a more specific goal than that in order to, to develop a specific plan. And as you said, if the goal is uh, bigger muscles, well, that's not going to happen without heavier weightlifting. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, but if the goal is, you know, if they say fitness, but what they mean is you know, I'd like to lose 10 pounds of body fat and I'd like to be able to run around with my kids more. Well, okay. Maybe you don't need heavier lifting for that. Yeah. You might do more cardiovascular exercise. And so anyway, so yeah, the principle of specificity is, is lost on a lot of people. And 
it's very important. What are, what are some things that you see like trickling into the general population world that are taken from the athlete or taken from the athletic world out of context? Like again, going back to that example, things that LeBron's doing, things that Ronaldo's doing, things that Messi's doing that people are trying to replicate and, and just missing the context of it and misusing it altogether. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think I, I, I may have touched on it a little bit before, but I would mm-hmm. say that um, and I'm involved with a lot of different technology. There's other things I'm doing that you know, I didn't even mention it, but I'm, I'm partnered with a, with a tech company. We're doing data analytics. And I'm also, you know, I, I work with some of the companies that provide, you know, heart rate monitors and accelerometers and things like that to measure training load. I like technology and I think it has a place uh, even with non-athletes, uh, but I would say that just like when I spoke about, you know, whether it's recovery boots or nutritional supplements or things like that, that, you know, they can give you an edge and they're helpful for, you know, top athletes, for for people who have taken care of all the basic things. I do feel like there's a bit of an over-reliance on technology for just the everyday exerciser. If they like it and and they want to use whether it's a heart rate monitor or GPS or step counter or Fitbit, like, great. There's nothing wrong with it. But I just think sometimes, you know, people focus too much on it. I think they spend a little too much money on it. And I think the truth is interval training, you know, I, of course, I, I, I prefer interval training to continuous training. Everybody should, in my opinion, if they want results. It, it, it doesn't need to require more than a stopwatch, really, you know? run yeah, fast for yeah. a certain amount of time and then, and then rest and, and then repeat, you know? So, so, um, I, I, I think while I like technology and the use of it, I, I feel like there's a lot of people and maybe even a lot of trainers that are becoming a little too over-reliant on it, uh, at the expense of fixing some of the basic simple things. And if that's cardiovascular or energy system training, again, that's making sure you do a good job with interval training. And if it's strength training, and maybe I'll speak because I know you mentioned LeBron James and just these these bizarre things that you maybe see professional athletes doing. Um, you know, if you really want to get stronger, um, I think if you have a knee and hip dominant exercise with resistance, and then you have a, a push and a pull exercise with resistance, and then maybe you can say, well, a horizontal push and pull and a vertical, like, okay, there's six exercises, <laughs> knee dominant, hip dominant, horizontal and vertical push and pull. And, and you periodize the resistance properly. Well, you know what? You are going to get stronger. Your muscles are going to get bigger. And now you don't need to worry about LeBron James, you know, standing on a BOSU ball with dumbbells over his head or whatever. Like, like I, yeah. I think, simplifying things is better it's my opinion so yeah 100 percent. and i always say the same things i mean like you know push pull hinge squat like do those things if you if you just do that you can't make too many mistakes if if that's all you're doing right all the gimmicky stuff like i I, i'm I'm picking on lebron just because you know he's a big name that everyone know i'm sure he trains like very well and doesn't do stupid stuff but i mean if some famous athlete is doing some crazy stuff on a bosu ball one leg whatever like we don't know the context of it. Maybe that is what that athlete needs, but there's also years and years and years of push, pull, hinge, squat that we don't see behind the scenes that got them to that point. You know, they didn't, they didn't get in the gym for three months and then be like, Oh yeah, now I can do this most advanced exercise ever. That doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And we just, yeah, we need to keep things simple back to the technology side of things. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think the, 
the biggest thing for most people is use it as an accountability tool. The actual data, like what are you really, what are you really doing with it? Everyone through COVID has been posting their runs on the, the, what's that app called? Uh, Strava. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a time GPS thing. And it's like, fine, you know, whatever. But if, if that keeps you running, then great. Are you like looking at that data and like trying to really improve your times and doing that stuff? Like most people, probably not. I know when I started running again a couple weeks ago, you don't have time, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have the time or, or the resources or, or the knowledge to even like analyze that data properly and like actually do something about it. Yeah. I was, you know, I started running again a, a few weeks ago when the weather sort of opened up and, and a buddy of mine asked me like, oh, are you using like a watch or heart rate monitor? And I said, no, I'm, I use like the stopwatch on my phone and I would rather not even take my phone with me if I didn't want to listen to music. But like, you know, I'm not an athlete. I don't, I'm not going to do anything with that data. So why even bother why even bother tracking it for myself? It's just not going to help me. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, in one of the courses I'm teaching in, in, in university now, there's a concept, a word that I really like, uh, which is sustainability. And so I, I just think, again, if we're, if we're speaking general population, I mean, the truth is it, it's tough to squeeze 30 or 45 minutes in, you know, for a workout. And if you have an hour, I mean, that's great. I mean, I'm experiencing that myself. Like once you have a family running a business, I mean, you don't have three hours to go to the gym and, or, or an hour to go to the gym and then two hours to look at your data, you know? Mm. So, so starting something which is sustainable makes it much more likely that you're going to keep going with it. And I, I do feel again, you know, I'm, I'm in, in school, I'm talking to a lot of young, you know, millennials or even younger than millennials, I guess now, but you know, they, that those, those people often, you know, when they start an exercise routine, it's five days a week and, you know, heavy lifting, running, that, 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 you know, all these things, which is great, but, but that isn't sustainable for most people, especially, you know, if you get into personal training, your clients, you know, the, the, these are just regular everyday adults that have, that have a family, that have a life, that have a home to take care of, that, that get sick every once in a while, that, you know, things come up. So if your routine is five days a week, and this is, there's some interesting psychology about this, uh, the all or nothing principle, mm-hmm. this is the way we're hardwired. So once we, you know, commit that our exercise routine is five days a week, two hours or whatever it is. The moment something comes up, life gets in the way and you miss a day or two. This is, that's when the all or nothing principle comes in. We're hardwired for this. So all of a sudden then, you know, we don't oh just go, okay, I'll just train three days a week. Now we stop. This is very, very common. I mean, maybe yeah. you've seen it in your clients. It's like all the time. Stop. And, and then they're not motivated to come back because they say, oh, you know, I tried working out, but it didn't work. Well, no, your routine wasn't sustainable. So yeah. start sustainable, start two days a week, start, you know, a 30 minute workout and don't worry about the data. Like just, just get the workout done. You know? Yeah. At some point, like, you know, something is better than nothing. And I think a lot of us now with, with how long myself for sure, like with how long the, the lockdowns have been extended here and no access to a gym and equipment and all this stuff. It's like, you know, you just got to move your body. Like, just do that, that you're not, don't, don't, I'm not lifting heavier. I, I got one kettlebell here. It's not that heavy. I, you know, I can't increase the weight of that thing anymore. So like, you know, the goals have to adjust and you just do, you just do what you can. Right. But you, you know, you're hundred percent right in that, you know, your, your goals have to adjust with the the constraints placed upon you. Like you said, you know, you, you've got a child at home, you're trying to run your business, but you're, you're at home. Right. And, and it, it, even for a fitness person, quote unquote, it, it can be a struggle to get that workout in and get those basic things done. Right. How are you, how are you managing? Like, what is your actual strategy for, for getting these things done while, while running your business and, and taking care of a family and a house? 
Well, I'll tell you that I'm, 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 I'm really practicing what I preach with, you know, sustainability. So I, like, I, I literally just, you know, I have a treadmill in the basement and, and, you know, how could I not? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so I, uh, I, I came up with a workout that it has, a, it has a small five minute mobility st- stuff that I do on the floor with a TheraBand. And once I feel good to go, I, 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 the whole thing from start to finish is 30 minutes. So it's a five minute mobility routine. Uh, about a three minute run at about six miles an hour. That's my kind of run warm up. And I, you know, I stretch my calves one last time and, and then I get into the intervals. So I, I really love uh, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. That's something, you know, I had, a, I had a bit of a track background as well back in the day. And that was something that, I mean, I used to do 200 meters in 30 seconds over and over again, but I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But in any case, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I run 30 seconds at about 11 miles an hour, you know, which is as fast as I can do it, as fast as the treadmill goes anyway. And then I rest for 30 seconds and I do that five times and I'm quite exhausted at the end of that. So I rest about two minutes and then I do it again another five times. And when that's done, so, so start to finish there, we're at about 20 minutes so far. I also have a squat cage. So I'll add in one upper body and one lower body exercise with the barbell. Maybe it's a back squat and, you know, push-ups or, or something, you know, or, or chin-ups. And, and, uh, and, and I do that, you know, two or three days a week. And, uh, and other than that, like the physical activity I get is maybe when I'm on the field working with athletes and stuff, but it, 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 those are 30 minute workouts. That's about all I have time for. And, and I'm, as I said, I'm trying to practice what I preach. So I do high intensity interval training. I do, you know, some heavy lifting, not really heavy these days as I used to, but something. And, uh, and, and, and I do it sustainably. So. Yeah. And, and that's beautiful. I mean, it, it, I think it speaks volumes to say that again, you know, I use this fitness person kind of moniker, but it's like, you know, someone might think, Oh, what's, what's Richard's workout. It must be something crazy. You know, he, he's the speed guy. He must be doing some crazy stuff. It's like, well, Richard's also a human. Richard's not, yeah. not a professional athlete anymore. Like, you know, he's just got to get his work in and he, and he does the basic stuff. He runs, he squats, he hinges, he pushes, he pulls and, and, and that covers the bases and that's it. And then he goes and plays with his kid and that, you know, and that's what, it, that's what it's really all about. Yeah. 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 It is, uh, it is, it has been an interesting time. And, and I mean, We've all just got to kind of make do and, and, and do what we can with what we've got, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, I do think, you know, starting a, an exercise routine and, and even a, a diet, I don't like that word diet because I think by definition, a diet is not sustainable, but sustainable changes to what you eat uh, are also, you know, much more likely to be effective and adhered to long term. So I really like that word sustainability. Yeah. There, I mean, I think there is a, there's a time and a place to like overhaul and, and go a hundred percent. But I think in my experience, like if you're going to, if you're going to do that all in, you need to know that there's not going to be any like random little things that come up and there has to be a defined end date. Like I've done this for myself where it's like, okay, for the next six weeks, I know my schedule, like unless something crazy happened, nothing's going to knock me off being able to like dial it in a hundred percent for those six weeks. But I also know that at the end of that six weeks, it's over and then things switch. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to go a hundred percent for the next six months. That's unreasonable, right? So, so building those parameters and knowing that there's an end date and that, okay, there's going to be something a little bit more reasonable at the end of this, I think goes, uh, goes a really long way, but you gotta, you gotta push the boundaries sometimes too. Yeah. And, and mind you, if you did that all year, that would be overtraining. So. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. One, yeah. one, one little story from, from last, uh, summer when the lockdown started, yeah. I, 
was back home and, you know, gyms were closed, you know, wasn't working all that stuff. And I trained probably harder than I've ever trained before. I went, I worked out twice a day, seven days a week or six days a week. And then on the seventh day, I only did one workout and that lasted for almost or for four months. But, and, and so that's like, that's too much. I knew it wasn't sustainable, but my, my thought process was like, I've got the time and the ability to do so now, but I will also didn't mess up my food. I slept nine hours every single night. Like I was on top of all of the other things because I understood that what I was doing was unreasonable and it was ridiculous, but I, I, I did the things that had to be done to do that. And then there was an end date to it, of course, but so, so it can be done, but you have to, your recovery has to match the, the intensity of the training that you're actually doing. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, it's an interesting thing, uh, point that you make, because the reality is that, you know, professional athletes have to train that way for certain periods of time, because that's the only way to get all the work in that you need in order to, to get to the top level for your fitness and also even for the technical things of your sport. I mean, yeah. I, again, I, I was a decent player in, in the CPSL, but I remember that, you know, I, uh, I was into a routine. I remember in 2001 getting ready for the, for the start of the season with the North York Astros that, you know, I, I, I went uh, to the gym in the morning and, and, and then I took a nap <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then I had training on the field in the afternoon and, and, and that was, I did that four or five days a week. And then I rested on Friday and played a game once, you know, so it's almost like I was, I was living as a professional athlete, and, but also going to school. And, and it's also why, you know, student athletes at some point, they wear themselves out too, because pro athletes who are in their early twenties, they can handle a training schedule like that because that's all they do. Mm -hmm. Whereas students have to, you know, study and, you know, truth be told, my, my, my mark suffered a bit because of that. Of and, course. Anyway, but, but yeah, like these are things that, that again, even a, even a student, like a college or university athlete is never going to get to the same level. They're not going to be able to get to the same level physically as a professional. And I think maybe the example you gave, I mean, if you're doing two workouts a day, but also sleeping nine hours and, and really eating well, you're almost living and training like a pro athlete yourself. And yeah, you can do it. I mean, you, you know, you're young, you're healthy, you can do it, but that's the reason you can do it. Yeah. If you had to stay up all night writing papers, you know, it wouldn't work. So. Yeah, exactly. I knew that I, I knew that I was going to be able to do all of the other things outside of the workouts to be able to handle that. And if I, and if I if I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, then I wouldn't have done it because I'm only going to end up injured or sick or, or something is something negative is going to happen from that. Right. And I mean, just to go back to your, your student athlete example, maybe not a rabbit hole that we want to go down, but definitely a knock on the, uh, the NCAA there where the athletes are expected to perform and train like pros, except they also have to do school. They also have to, you know, worry about a whole bunch of other things that, a that, a quote unquote real pro doesn't have to, to consider like money for one thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Actually, it's funny that we, we have a, a couple of, because our, our facility is, is allowed to remain open for high performance athletes. And we mm -hmm. have a, we have a kid that that's about to declare for the NBA draft actually. And I was chatting with him today at the facility and, and, you know, he's telling me about, you know, when he's in school, um, you know, he's, he's, he's in a big D one school in the States. And he says that, yeah, like it's, there is this, this, this ongoing debate, you know, should they be paid? Should they not? And, you know, I mean, okay, they are getting a, a very expensive education for free, but at the same time, well, Hey, they're sacrificing their bodies and, and everything for the school and they have to study, you know, they have to do all the work that a normal student has to do plus train twice a day and travel. And so it's, it's, it's like a constant struggle. And, 
you know, that's why those, you know, if, if you're lucky and you're good enough and then, you know, then, then you go pro and if not, you, know, you can't sustain that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I think that also speaks to the whole part of, you know, you've, you've got to be a good human first and it doesn't mean you need to go to school and, you know, you know, you should get educated and all that stuff, but you can't rely your whole life on, on being an athlete or, or playing a sport or being in shape. Like it can't, your, your whole life can't revolve around that. You need to be a, a person first, a, a father, a mother, a brother, sister, a friend first, and then you can, you can work on your physical body and all these things, right? Yeah. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to say in, in, in closing here? Um, it's been great uh, reconnecting and I'm sure we could go, you know, m- many more, many more hours here getting into the nitty gritty on the, on the science and stuff, but, uh, I want to be respectful of your time here. So yeah, no, we're, we're, I know. I mean, it's, it's been great. I mean, uh, maybe it's something I can reach out to you again. If, uh, maybe yeah. Do this again and, and focus more on, on, on science or something else. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think we're good. I did want to just tell you, you know, congratulations on on your career and, and you know I, I I you know I hope you don't mind if I share. I, I just reached out you know to, 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 yeah. to Daniel you know about a week ago or so because I I just I, I noticed I remembered you as as a player and stuff and then when I I saw you on, on social media and saw what you're doing and I just thought it, it's 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 amazing. I think you you really built a, a nice little, little business and little brand for yourself. And, and I think, uh, I think you're doing great. So, so, you know, keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it means, it means a lot coming from someone like you, someone who I, you know, I kind of watched your, your career or starting, you know, as a, as a kid and like, Oh yeah, what, what Richard's doing is kind of cool. And I also went to York university and it's like, Oh yeah, what, you know, that stuff is, you know, it, it makes sense. I'm, I'm aligned with those things. And so hearing that from you means, uh, means quite a lot. So, so thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Great. Why don't you uh, let people know where they can find you, where they can find out more, uh, and, and I'll include the links to all these things, but uh, let them know. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'll say, uh, you know, our, our website to, to learn anything about our business, it's it's speedtraining.ca. That's S-P-E-E-D-T-R-A-I-N-I-N-G.ca. Uh, and then uh, we, uh, we've we got a YouTube channel. I've got a YouTube channel and, and, and I'm trying to do, you know, I'm building it. I actually, during, believe it or not, during COVID, we, we, we jumped from you know, a thousand subscribers to, to oh, about 4,500 now. I mean, it's, wow. it's growing, it's still small, but it's something I'm, you know, I'm trying to work on it again in my spare time, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good information there. A lot of it's specific to athletes, but also some good, I've got all kinds of stuff about, you know, nutrition, um, you know, sports psychology, injury recovery. I think things that maybe everyone or a lot of people anyway might be interested in. And, and the YouTube channel is speed training. So <laughs> easy enough. If you, if you, Google it and, and YouTube it, you know, you'll, you'll find it. And then hopefully you'll find some, some valuable information there. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can, I can speak uh, for, for, for myself that you are a wealth of knowledge and someone who's really like put in the work to kind of pave the way. I, I can recall one story. It just came to mind now. I can't believe I didn't remember this, but years ago, when I think probably when I was still, when I was in my undergrad, I, um, I, I gave a, a little nutrition, sports nutrition presentation to like my brother's team my brother's three years younger than me and so i spoke to them i don't remember what i said it was probably just very surface level you know whatever um but i remember looking at some of the stuff that you had posted and some of the stuff that you had written to then then base off my little tiny little presentation to my brother's team so uh it's just it's funny how those things come full circle and and the information that you are you have been giving in the past and, and all the things that you're doing now with athletics and then compare it to, or, or bring it back to, to general population is, is fantastic. So I highly encourage everybody to go, go check out Richard's work, uh, speed training on, on, are you on Instagram? Your, it's just your name. It's Richard Petrelli. 
so that that's there's my name richard bucciarelli and we have an instagram account at speed training ca so speed training ca speed training ca so yeah i'll include us in the in the show notes there youtube uh website as well um and and where where is your facility located for anyone who's like in the in the gta area yeah whenever, whenever the lockdowns are restricted yeah lifted so so yeah we're uh, uh we're inside a, a big multi-sport complex called sportsplex 2 uh which is uh on keel street just north of highway 7 it's 8301 keel and uh, you can see all you know if you go to speedtraining.ca you can see the address and the location and big renovations coming there and in, in our location and, and i mean i didn't even mention this but we We've just signed a lease now to build a, a physiotherapy and massage clinic up on the second floor of that facility. So we're branching out into, you know, providing therapy, physiotherapy, both for the athletes and also maybe for, you know, for the moms and dads and other people there. So perfect. Yeah, come visit us as soon as you're allowed to. So. Yes. As soon as, as soon as they're allowed athletes of all kind, people of all kind. Um, well, Richard, this has been great. Is there anything else you kind of want to leave the people with in closing here? Oh, wow. Well, I would just say, you know what, if, 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 if you love something and, and you do it every day, uh, then you'll get better at it. That's, that's a, an old coach said that to me once. And so I, you know, he was referring to soccer, meaning if you love soccer and you do it every day, you'll get better at it. But, you know, we're talking about fitness. So if you love fitness and you're passionate about it and you do it every day, not at a high intensity every day, but do it every day, you know, then, then you'll become better at it. So. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. We'll, we'll definitely have to reconnect and, and get into the nitty gritty on some other things. And, um, but I'm happy to happy that we did this and, uh, happy to continue to connecting and see where everything goes. All right. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. Bye-bye everybody. I feel like I maybe say this every time at the end of a podcast and maybe it's me because I like to talk too much, but I think it's also because the guests have been so interesting and such excellent people so far that I feel like all of these podcasts could have gone on for many hours and I wouldn't have gotten bored. I don't know if you, the listener, would would get bored of it, but I feel like we could have gone forever and this was no different with Richard. I mean, we, we could have spent hours talking about overspeed training, under training, biomechanics of running and all these things. And, and I think we'll have to do this again some, at some point and then do like entire episodes, you know, dedicated to specific things. And that might be a better way to go about it. But it's, it's just amazing that we can spend so much time talking with this and, and all of the relations between these high level performance metrics and tools and training tips to regular people like myself and like you as well. I mean, it's also very, it was very nice of Richard to say the things that he said at the end of the episode of what I'm doing. And that makes me feel really great because as I mentioned, Richard was a coach of mine and someone who I've, I've watched him grow his thing, grow his business from when it started. And I didn't really know. I was just a kid. I was just, Oh, Richard, coach Richard is doing that thing. Okay, cool. And then I kind of watched it and, and I always thought it was really interesting what he's doing. And now to connect with him on a, on a professional level, if I can call myself a professional is, um, is quite amazing to me. And it just means a whole lot coming from someone like him. So anyways, I hope you took a lot from this episode. As always, there was a whole bunch of information. Go back and listen to it again. If you need to take notes, then, then by all means, I will. Put all of Richard's contact info, speed training everywhere, basically YouTube, Instagram, uh, and online, uh, or his website rather. And so I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, definitely check him out. Reach out to him. If you are an athlete and need that high performance training and you're in the GTA Toronto area, certainly reach out to Richard. You know, COVID restrictions, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, this is being recorded on in May. So whenever, whenever you're listening to this, uh, hopefully things are, are, are done by then and reach out to Richard for that. Um, and just for, even if you're not an athlete, general health tips, 
uh, general wellness, performance, training, nutrition, all the things. So anyways, I'll leave those in the show notes. It is well past my bedtime. So I'm going to stop rambling now, even though this exit outro thing is way too long. But this is what I always do every single time. And I don't feel like doing 97 takes of this. So I'm just going to keep going and keep rambling, even though I'm talking about not rambling. That's enough. Follow me on Instagram if you're not already. At Daniel Yours is just my name. Um, Twitter, TikTok, you know, whatever, social media. Um, I'll got a website up soon as well for myself. Share the podcast if you've if you found any value in this or any of the other episodes. Make sure you're subscribed and do me a favor, leave a rating and review on iTunes. Really goes a long way in helping the whole show grow and spreading the message. That's it. I'll shut up now. Good night. Have a great day, whatever time it is. See you later.